Welcome back, everybody. Another edition, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, presented by One Wire Fiber. Trey Fitzgerald, your host right here, with the super producer, Ryan Hale. Our guest today, Walter Franco. Walter is a Utah-based business, sports business consultant. He works for Victus Advisors. You can find him on Twitter at Walter Franco. Just search his name. A ton of great insights and really looking forward to this conversation. We'll discuss the recent Real Salt Lake announcement of the Liga MX exhibition, what that means both economically for the club, what it means uh, from a Hispanic outreach standpoint in the community. We talk a little bit about the U.S. national team visit to Rio Tinto that's also uh, coming up here in June we get into Major League Soccer media rights, La Liga, Serie A, the changing landscape of both streaming and uh, linear slash terrestrial television. And, um, you know, Walter is a guy that was once an RSL communications intern when he was a freshman in the University of Utah. He went to uh, San Diego State and got his uh, graduate degree He's really a, a success story in the landscape of not just Utah soccer, but uh, North American soccer and um, just a fun conversation as we get into some of the bigger issues facing our sport, our club, our city, our state, our country, our community. And um, Ryan, I guess I'll, I'll tag you in here. What, what were uh, some of the things maybe that uh, you wanted to hear uh walter's very unique perspective on well first of all shout out to all those uh, rsl interns <laughs> out there i know there's a couple that listen to the show so um yeah it's a good it's a good stepping stone you get to, get to some pretty incredible places starting out as an Who RSL knew? Intern. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i didn't know i didn't know a lot of walter's story before listening to him talk to you but it's uh you know the the behind the scenes stuff that that happens that all the different pieces that are moving that to make things happen around here is just fascinating and the ideas of like you know what it takes to get a, a team like Cholos to uh into Rio Tinto Stadium and all the people that have to be involved with that and that's that's a big thing that's a big part like the I feel like uh the evolution of RSL as a club um is built out of those moments of these you know these people that are have all these different roles and from you know yeah. all over the world of soccer like that are coming together like well let's do this let's do this you know let's make this happen and you know, not everything always comes to fruition, but when it does, you know, those are pivotal moments in, in club history. So um, I feel like Walter's definitely one of these guys who's, you know, maybe not on the payroll of the club, but as integrated into like the fabric. I think what have right. we, we've been using that term for a little bit. He's sure. woven into the fabric there because of the things that he's been, had his hands in, you know, throughout the years. So. Yeah, and he's so involved in uh, everything uh, Liga MX. He does uh, consult with different teams down there. He's help put together various events with RSL, with the Monarchs at Rio Tinto Stadium, et cetera, et cetera, involving uh, Liga MX clubs, involving uh, MLS, CONCACAF. The list goes on and on. Just a fun conversation. You can find uh, Walter on Twitter at the W Franco, F-R-A-N-C-O. We'll obviously tag him in our, our socials around this episode. But... um. Just a fun, a fun chat. If you have any feedback uh, for Walter for a future visit, because I imagine we'll want to talk to him again 
later this summer after some of the international tours, some of the exhibitions, and maybe when there's uh, new progress on an MLS media rights deal, please tag us at Claret Cobalt on either Twitter or Instagram or hit up uh, Walter again at the W Franco. And on the other side, you'll hear this chat with Walter right here on Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, presented by One Wire Fiber. Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, presented by OneWireFiber.com. That's the number one wirefiber.com. The goal at OneWire has always been a simple one. Deliver cutting-edge telecommunications products and services better than anyone in the Utah communities we serve to all businesses, regardless of size, affordably. Visit OneWireFiber.com or call 801-990-6200. Right, excited to be joined now by a gentleman that I've known for I don't know, at least probably ten or fifteen years. Thir- right, thirteen years. Thirteen so, years. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad your specifics are better <laughs> than mine. Uh, Walter Franco with uh, Victus Advisors, and Walter, you've you've been kind of one of my go tos on uh, sports business. So everything from TV ratings to fan demographics to consumer trends. I think you're a must follow. And thankfully for us, you're based here in Utah. And um, obviously, you've got some experience in and around the RSL organization. I think you and I have worked uh, closely in the past on on some some big events over there Mm -hmm. at Rio Tinto. And um, I guess just kind of tell the people how you got to be where you are now and and your career path, I think, is fascinating, and, and I'd, I'd love everybody to, to hear more about it. Yeah, well, uh, first and foremost, thank you for the invitation. I feel like I finally made it in the industry to, to be on your show. No. So the fact that I'm <laughs> on here, I find, so that's why I have a little bit of stage fright now. That I think the fact <laughs> that I'm on Trey's show, I finally made it. But, uh, yeah, so I, I work in sports business. Um, I actually got my first... Um, my first steps or first uh, experience in sports was interning for RSL, and this was back in 2008. And so by that point, I knew that I wanted to work in sports, didn't know what the career would look like. At mm-hmm. that point, I thought that working in sports meant, uh, you know, working for a team. Yeah. And so I, I decided that summer to do an internship. I was a student at the University of Utah. That's where I met you and was part of the community community relations department. Right. And did everything uh, back then, working on uh, uh, doing the games at Rice Eccles, right? So right before what a uh, crazy year, yeah. so much change. So that was much, like the yeah. fulcrum in the history of RSL. Yeah. So, but I, I, you know what? It was a great experience. I had the opportunity to dress as a Chick Fil A cow. So I, I had to wow. do, I had to do everything there. And so, but it, it was a great experience and definitely got me a good peek at the behind the scenes for 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 sports, especially in soccer. And so from that point on, um, I was still a gra- uh, undergrad student at, at the U. Mm. Uh, graduated in 2011, and uh, from there worked. Uh, at the time, I was working in the banking industry. After school, I started working in, in finance for Royal Bank of Scotland, which mm. is kind of like uh, Goldman Sachs um, here in Utah. But then went to grad school at San Diego State, and that's where okay. I, I got a sports MBA. And it was there that I really started to get even more involved in sports business, specifically on the soccer side. I had an internship with uh, Soccer Night Marketing yep. uh, with the uh, the Mexican national team games in the U.S. 
also uh, did an internship with uh, Cholos uh, Tijuana, yep. was their first intern actually. They didn't really have a structured internship program, so I came to them and basically created it and, on what I could do to help them grow in the U.S. And once I finished from there, uh, moved back to Utah, uh, worked in minor league hockey for a little bit to get my foot back in the door mm. and started consulting for the Cholos. And that's where, again, I reconnected with RSL when I, I brought the Cholos up for a friendly in 2014. Right. And uh, then two years later, did a, another friendly match uh, with RSL with uh, Cholos and uh, Santos Laguna. Mm -hmm. And as we now know, Santos Laguna and America are coming in, in July in uh, less than two months now. So uh, since that time, working for Victus, I've been with Victus for over six years. Uh, our core business is really revolved around market research for um, stadium and facility development. So we do feasibility studies, economic impact studies. Mm. Uh, we do sponsorship analysis and then also uh, working a lot on the side of soccer with uh, brokering friendly matches for League MX clubs, for South American clubs. Uh, also uh, helping them to understand the U.S., helping them how to cap, or excuse me, thinking in Spanish, how to capture the, the U.S. market, um, how to uh, exploit their brand here, and uh, which has kind of uh, had me really on the pulse of what's happening both here locally, nationally, internationally on the soccer scene. Awesome. So let's start with the Liga MX announcement of uh, Club America, Santos Laguna, yep. coming to Rio Tinto here on July 4th. How, I guess, uh, important and impactful is that in your in your view for the club, for the stadium, for the community here? Um, to me, it's a big sign that we're finally kind of getting back to normal after a year and a half. Absolutely. And I think more than anything else, that there's definitely a pent-up demand for, for this type of stuff, especially with everything that we've had to go through over the last year. And so I, I think it'll do well. I think um, it's definitely a great way for RSL to re-engage the, the Latino community, mm -hmm. um, especially with the way that it was announced, uh, you know, in the Salt Lake, in the Capitol, yeah. involving Senator uh, Escamilla. And so um, I think I think it'll do well. I think this is another opportunity for RSL to, like I guess I said, reengage the Hispanic community and really start, um, you know, in light of kind of what's been happening over the last few months and the last year, it's a great way to for for the Hispanic community to remember to, hey, we have a local club here that we can support as well. We can go watch Club America in Santa Luna, but hey, RSL is going to be here year round, and and RSL doing a great job too of doing that. Um, they've they've done a lot of visits to elementary schools mm -hmm. my daughters go to one of the elementary schools that they visited quite often and so from the community engagement process they're doing a great job and it's just a matter of you know keeping the foot on the gas and uh you know maybe more events like this in the future or uh other marketing initiatives but i think i think they're on the right path right now yeah and then in june there's a u.s national team friendly right. at rio tinto u.s costa rica on june 9th the capacity for that, I think, is still a little bit unknown. Right. Um, that's kind of a touch and go thing. But for me, it's just it's just great seeing these things kind of happen again because it, it is, like I said before, a sign that things are getting back to normal. I guess from your view, what is your kind of pulse or your take on on Real Salt Lake right now from from your perspective, both as a as a business analyst, but also as a as I presume a fan. Well, I think, you know, that's a good question. I, I think the, uh, there's a lot of optimism moving forward. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of hype and buzz when there's a new owner. 
you, you can see kind of the the buzz that's happened with Ryan Smith with the Jazz, yeah. especially yeah. now with Dwayne Wade on board, sure. and there's, there's a lot of buzz and energy. And I think you're going to see that with RSL. Um, and I think in the meantime, having these international matches with the U.S. men's national team here, uh, which I, I think in overall international select club not club but uh national teams playing here has always been successful the national the mexican right. national team played here in 2015 that was sold out i think in three days and yeah. that you know against trinidad and tobago that was a great game and um i think the u.s men's national team has played here quite a few times same sure. with the women's national team and so you know utah is a great soccer market i think many people na- nationally kind of don't give it to, give it the credit it deserves um but um i think overall i'm very optimistic uh, and I look at things more on the commercial side as, as opposed to on the pitch side. Don't yeah. ask me for on the pitch tactical <laughs> analysis, but from the from the commercial side, I, I do see a lot of optimism. Uh, Utah is actually, you know, it's an emerging market. It's continuing to grow, and it's becoming more and more diverse, especially on the Latino side. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people might not be aware. Obviously, the majority are Mexican or Mexican origin, but you're seeing a, a heavy influx of uh, Peruvians, of okay. Venezuelans. And uh, all of them, with their, which are just as passionate about sports as anyone else. And so that really creates a really diverse melting pot with the Latino community, which I think is great. And from a football or soccer standpoint, I think that's even great, greater. So um, I'm, I think that as long as RSL really embraces that diversity and really caters to that market, um, you're going to have a you know, rabid and passionate fan base and uh, you know, full packed houses and a fun atmosphere to watch games. What is your, I mean, obviously the Utah economy has been red hot, right? right? If you look at I mean, the housing market, I think gets all the attention, but that drives so many things, right? Um, you look at the infrastructure that the club already has between the stadium and the facility in Harriman. Um, I'm always preaching about the relevance that the sport and the club have essentially being a big fish in a small pond here. Mm-hmm. Um, from your viewpoint, what is what is a new the next owner of Real Salt Lake getting based on what Dave Checkets and Deloitte Hansen have have built here over seventeen years? Well, I think definitely they have a strong culture for soccer here. I mean, um, there's only a limited number of players in the market when you have the Jazz, of course, and BYU and Utah football and, and sports in general, right? And RSL has really fit nicely. There's there's a lot of support. You drive around town, you see flags, you see stickers on cars, jerseys. And so you're not seeing, you know, I don't want to name out any, any other MLS clubs, but it, you, they're not fighting for relevance in their own market mm-hmm. like like some other MLS communities, right? And, right? and oftentimes that's because they're so oversaturated with so many other professional sports teams. Other times it's because those MLS clubs just really haven't done enough to engage with their markets, right? right. But I don't think that's the case with RSL. And, and that's why... You know, Don Garber has said as well is that, you know, there's really they really don't want to move uh, RSL to another market, number one, because they have the infrastructure in place with the stadium, with the world class facility in Harriman. And, uh, you know, over time, and you can attest to this, too. It, over the last several years, RSL has been one of the, the best performing uh, clubs from a financial standpoint, while others have been losing For money. Sure. And so um, RSL is has a great infrastructure uh, through Dave Trekitz and Deloitte Hansen that uh you know for any new buyer they're going to have that that in 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 place as a good foundation and so it's up to them at that point to really build off of that and what will help in the future obviously is is winning winning mls cups (laughs) uh and uh also doing well in in concacaf champions league as well that's really the next frontier for mls is to consistently win that tournament which really 
you know, start to accelerate the the gap between MLS and League MX that has been talked about for so many years now. Yeah, and obviously, um, just this past weekend, the Liga MX semifinals had over, I think, a million and a half viewers, mm-hmm. which was more than MLS and EPL combined, combined yep. uh, this past weekend. Talk a little bit or give me your perspective on what you think the 2022 MLS media rights deal, like the implications, because um, as I've seen on, on your Twitter timeline, you know, uh, what was it? CBS Viacom Paramount plus just did the La Liga deal. The NHL just had a deal that was probably double what I expected. Right. Um, so some of these media rights fees, as the model redefines itself, I think the old model is broken, right. uh, but nobody knows what the new model is going to look like. You have these battles between streaming services, RSNs, traditional networks. Right. Soccer always still trying to find its place. Um, right. But the good news is that there's demand. And then on the heels of that, you've got the World Cup here uh, being shared between U.S., Canada, and Mexico in 2026, which I think is only going to – you know, not only be the cornerstone of this next media rights deal. Mm. Now you've got Soccer United Marketing breaking away With, yep, US uh, from soccer. U.S. Soccer or U.S. Soccer breaking away from um, some, I should say. Right. So there's a lot of a lot of volatility. I'll say a lot of movement afoot. But um, I guess I would just love your thoughts on all those things and 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 what it could mean for continued MLS growth and and. Um, and just asset value for everything surrounding MLS. Yeah, so I mean, this is a topic I can talk on for hours, so I'll try to be high level and, and brief on this. But uh, so the La Liga is with ESPN and ESPN Plus, CBS Sports okay. and Paramount got a uh, uh, Serie A, that's and that's right. that's for seventy five million a year, uh, which is great for Serie A because they're really struggling for relevance outside of their own country. Uh, La Liga is about one hundred seventy five million. Um, EPL currently gets paid about 166 million by NBC Sports, mm-hmm. uh, but they're up for renewal soon. So the assumption is that they're going to be a little bit higher than that. Yeah. So MLS is MLS is a really interesting one, and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. Um, I it, it'll definitely be an increase, and mostly and the way that I've presented this, uh, you know, specifically on Twitter, is that there will be an increase. But I think it's it's more of a reflection of inflation and also the just the amount of TV markets that are going to be added, and, and that's via expansion, right? So the original um, contract, I think there were eighteen or so MLS clubs. Sounds about right. It was ninety million a year. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, between ESPN and Fox. Right, and uh, UNIBC on UNIBC. So yeah. ESPN and Fox were seventy-five million of that ninety, and then fifteen yeah. million was UNIBC on. And so um, now you're going to have by the end of the the end of this deal, if it's a ten-year deal, there's going to be thirty MLS clubs. So an increase of twelve clubs, mm-hmm. an increase of twelve TV markets. So that alone increases the value of the TV rights deal. But then you have to ask, okay, they're going to be using that those metrics. They're also going to be using the metrics of average, you know, TV ratings, and you know, even still, MLS is. And I, I won't take 2020 as as a benchmark for any club because sure. sports in general has been down during the pandemic. But post a uh, pre pre pandemic, you know, MLS is still hovering anywhere between 250 300 thousand uh, people watching a game, right, an average game, and so you have to compare that to what EPL is getting and. And unfortunately, even though MLS is the domestic league for the U.S., I, I just really don't see how they would, you know, B 
be much, much, much higher than mm-hmm. La Liga or EPL in the future, right? Sure. And so there's many people, you know, projecting it at 300 million a year, which I think is probably uh, high, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to project that, but I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. I th- and I think that the issue or the challenge for MLS is, and it's not MLS's fault, is that the, the U.S. is a soccer country. The problem is it's a fragmented soccer country, right? right? Because you have your mainstream, you know, Caucasian soccer demographic, and then you have the Latino soccer demographic. And then with that, you have a subset, which is the Mexican-American demographic. And then you also have a demographic of, you know, Eastern Europeans and then from Africa. And and so there's not a unified method to watch soccer because not everyone's, you know, not all the Latinos are watching uh, EPL and that reflects on uh, NBC Telemundo's ratings. You know, you're not getting great ratings for, you know, unless it's Wolves, uh, you know, with Raul Jimenez against uh, another club, you're you're not going to get tremendous ratings on the Spanish side. Mm And so, um, I, you know, I, I, my personally, I think it's it's going to be you know more than double what what they're currently getting, okay. but I don't know how much more than that. So I, I'm guessing somewhere in that two hundred million dollar range, which would be great. But I think that again, that's a reflection of just inflation, just rights are increasing and everything. But uh, there was a great discussion online as well from uh, a lot of sports media experts saying that you know the NFL also too, they were the first ones to to get their deal signed, which right. was an ex- explosive rate they're they're gonna they're making bank but they said the nfl isn't setting the benchmark for for rights deals they're actually taking money from the pot sure and so as these other tier one program programs like um nba nhl uh, major league baseball and then you also have to think on the collegiate side too pac-12 is up for renewal yeah. sec big 12 so all of those those are the ones that get the ratings so they're going to get the, the lion's share of those uh those revenues right and so what's going to be left is the, the soccer mm-hmm. properties or other emerging sports and so that's that's where i would be concerned if i'm if i'm mls as a property for thinking of revenues and uh it'll it'll you know, I think over the next, I think they're, they're going to be closing that by the end of the year, if not sooner. So um, I'm very curious to see what will end up happening, and especially now, considering with the break off with U.S. soccer. Now we'll, we'll be able to truly value and see what MLS sure. is worth on its own, as opposed to being attached to, to the women's and soccer, uh, the men's national team. What are the, I guess, red flags or the concerning factors regarding, I guess, consumer behavior? When it comes to viewing habits, because like even here, you know, we have issues with the jazz because there's right. not really you can't stream. You can't watch League Pass. Uh, YouTube TV doesn't have um, AT&T Sportsnet. Um, AT&T Sportsnet is propped up by the Rockies. Right. Um, as I my personal belief is that most RSNs are propped up by baseball because it's just. Yep. It's 162 games of five-hour blocks and shoulder programming. Um, And it's just fascinating to think about how to rebuild the model and what what does that mean nationally and what does that mean locally. You know, RSL's always had um, and probably has left money on the table over the years to be able to have its televised product and now its streaming product Mm -hmm. available to literally every person in the state of Utah just because we've been in growth mode for 17 years. Right. Well, I, th- I think the trend is definitely towards OTT, especially as you skew younger generations. But I feel for us older folks, I consider myself, I'm not quite a geriatric millennial <laughs> as they've been claiming, but uh, I'm, I'm right on the line there. But uh, so, you know, 
I feel over the last three years, we're really being forced or OTD is being shoved down our throat yeah. and, and there's really nothing we can do about it now. I mean, Bundesliga is really being hidden behind ESPN plus now with the exception yeah. of their classicer, which they'll have on ABC. The same thing is probably going to happen with La Liga, which probably only the, the you know, Barcelona Madrid sure. is going to be on ABC, but everything's going to be on ESPN plus same with Serie A. And so I really think that's probably going to happen with MLS as well. Where mm. probably some of the premier matches are going to be on ESPN or ABC from time to time, especially the MLS cup. And so, um, that's forcing the consumer that, okay, now, you know, it's kind of funny because we're kind of almost coming full circle with, <laughs> with, with cable and satellite. We, we were asking for a la carte. We started getting a la carte, but now they're starting to bundle the a la carte. So now we're going to be all the way back to only paying for, you know, bundled services now, right? Yep. Which is exact, essentially it, 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 exactly. what Comcast is, right? And so um, at, this, at this point, I think we're just going to have to get used to it. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I think the trend is going that way and, 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 you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think as consumers, I don't think there's much we can do about it unless we start canceling subscriptions, but I don't think it's going to be, uh, we're so used to it now with Netflix and now Disney plus and everything else. And so, uh, from, from the RSL standpoint, I mean, um, you know, based on what MLS was doing over the last few years, telling local clubs to not renew, you know, local rights deals and try to start to push away from that so they can expire at the same time. So right. I think RS, or MLS is doing that with the idea of consolidating all the rights so that they can maximize their value for the next rights deal, right? And so I think, um, you know, we're probably going to have to get used to watching a lot of RSL games on ESPN+, Plus, assuming that they get it. Uh, we'll see what happens with Fox Sports if they decide to, uh, be in the mix again and if they are then if they're going to try to launch their own ott platform mm-hmm. um so um you know it's it's an unfortunate thing that we're seeing i think but uh it's just the reality unfortunately sometimes the commercial aspects of sports and entertainment sometimes really don't have the best interest of of the consumers at right. heart uh yeah. but and we're just kind of forced to do what they do and we just kind of deal with it yeah it's fascinating because what i'm hearing is that you know, when you have a league as large as what MLS now is, because right. when I, you know, when I was involved in MLS, we were at the league office. We had ten teams and then twelve. Uh, RSL became the twelfth. Now we're twenty-seven teams and counting. Not every owner is on board with consolidating right. local TV rights because obviously some ownership groups have interests in in TV RSNs or other streaming services, et cetera, et cetera. And as you mentioned, the commitment to the fan as opposed right. to the commitment to the advertiser or the viewer or the carriage property is uh, it's all over the map. When you got 27 representatives in a room, you're going to get more often than not 27 different viewpoints. That's where I think Don Garber's done a phenomenal job growing right. the league over the last 20 years is trying to make sure that everybody's pointed in the same direction. Right. But um, the next... I don't know, nine months. Um, who knows how long it's going to take to get this deal done. But Gary Stevenson and is taking lead on that. The former, you know, he's the guy that built the Golf Channel. Right. He's a former Pac-12 guy. I, I don't know if he was commissioner before Larry Scott, but he was one of the higher ups of yeah, the Pac-12. Yeah. So anyway, it's going to be fascinating to see how that happens. And, and you know, Utah's a unique market. Right. And that's why we always went over the air. Um, you know, we've been with everybody except for Fox 13. But we right. Started out with KSL. We went to Channel 2. Channel 2 developed KMYU as kind of a, um answer to KJAZ. Right. And then, uh, and then we had a few years on ABC4, and then now we've done the KSL OTT, which um, 
I think has been a success for for most people. Definitely. Some people have technical yeah. issues, as you always do, as these streaming services emerge and you get into geofencing and all right, that fun right. stuff. So hopefully, as far as I know, um, RSL is going to do whatever it can to make sure that the games are available in everybody's um phones at the very least if not households as easily as possible and you know what and i think you know just to kind of cap your point is league mx would love to have the problems that mls are having on that Mm. side and what i mean by that is because at at the very least there seems to be more of a union among owners and there seems to be a collective vision and so although you know they're still lagging behind on tv ratings and certain metrics that league mx still surpasses mls on is that there's still a collective vision there's still optimism there's still you know, investment uh, for, uh, you know, literally and also metaphorically in, in the mission of MLS. While you have, you know, again, fragmented, you know, leadership across the board, Liam X, it's really just every man for themselves. It's the Wild West. And but for you've some also clubs, got the two big TV yeah, exactly. companies that own exactly, parts yeah. of the league. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, so some, some still benefit from that. Obviously, Chivas and America benefit from that type of relationship because they go out and maximize their, their best. But then, you know, that affects smaller clubs that really just don't have carry much weight or have mm-hmm. any leverage at the table. And so, um, you know, it, it, and that's why they've talked about, and this is another topic if we ever talk about it with, with the potential merger uh, sure. of, of the of the two leagues is, you know, how it really would be kind of from a commercial standpoint and also t- from a technical and development standpoint is two puzzle pieces going together that, that could actually fit both in the short term and in, in the long term. And so... Um, Liga MX would love to have some of the problems that MLS has right now. <laughs> where, um, you know, while we're here, obviously a, a lot of MLS teams have tried a lot of different. Um, how do I say this? They've tried a lot of different ways to address um, issues of attracting sure. a Mexican American yep. or a Latino audience. Um, the list of failures in the er, in the first probably 15 years of the league where, hey, if we sign Jorge Campos or right. Luis Hernandez or Carlos Hermosillo, and the, I shouldn't use all Galaxy examples right, because right. that's a unique <laughs> market. But, yeah. um, you know, I, when I was in Denver selling tickets in 1996 when MLS started, they always thought, hey, the magic bullet would be if we signed, I don't know, Ramon Ramirez yeah, or, yeah. you know, um, I'm I'm scraping my brain for some of the old uh, Mexican. Yeah, yeah. Blanco yeah. obviously was big in Chicago, and and Blanco had, did have a big impact yeah. on the league. But it was usually the first time he went to a visiting market. Right, yep. the game would sell out. But then the second time they came back around, if it's a Wednesday night in yeah, exactly. Tampa Bay or whatever, yeah, eight thousand people show up. So so right. it was kind of a. Um, a meteoric rise and f- crash back to earth. Right. And, you know, um, Alex Vehar asked me recently for his article kind of examining RSL's yep. Hispanic outreach, and he should have talked to you. I don't know if he did, but um, I just said that that is an outdated way of thinking. Yep. And obviously people that are new to the sport think that's all you have to do. Right. Um, but there has to be... Um, as you mentioned earlier, a, a continued and constant development of that relationship. And it has to happen on a lot of levels. Obviously, winning is important of course, and having yep. representation on the field is important. But also, as you mentioned earlier, the, the community stuff and the outreach. And so I'm 
I'm ecstatic that, that Tyler Gibbons and John Kimball were able to go back to Alpha Media with, with Mary Lee yep. and Nelson because Nelson has been the most phenomenal ambassador for this club in um, that we've had in 17 years. So I just um, – I'm optimistic there. But now having like an emerging star like right. Rubio Rubin yep. – yep. That's got a that that's icing on the cake, right? Oh yeah, and that, for sure. That approximates maybe that that magic bullet. Yeah. So I, this is a very interesting topic and very complicated. I think I think the first thing that MLS clubs need to understand is that every market is unique. Yeah. And so the way that I look at Salt Lake, for example, is um, I see Salt Lake, and and this is in context of the, the Hispanic or Latino uh, market or demographics. Is Salt Lake is probably 20 what denver was 20 years ago with with the hispanic market right so hispan so denver's a much more his, mature hispanic market sure. than Salt Lake. and what I, what I mean by mature is by the generational uh chain of uh, whether it's mexican americans or hispanics so in it's not like la where you have fifth sixth seventh generation right. hispanics right or houston or things like that salt lake is still very much first and second generation so uh, you're seeing a lot of influence from, you know, a few local business leaders. You have, you know, Hispanic politicians at the state level, yep. which is great. But you're not seeing, you know, large, wealthy businessmen or, or prominent lawyers or, or community leaders like you see in L.A. or mm -hmm. other established Latino markets. Right. And so with that in mind, that's where, you know, and it's not, you know, Portland's obviously a different market as well. Same sure. with Seattle, Minnesota. And so what MLS clubs need to do is to really say, okay, don't, don't look necessarily look what LA is doing. We need to do what's best for Minnesota because we need to understand what the demographics look like in our own market. Because if it's first and gener second generation, then most of our messaging needs to be more in Spanish, more towards mm. that segment. In LA, it really doesn't even have to really be Spanish. It, it can be Spanglish or right. uh, really just English. And, and you look at the profile of, you know, a LAFC match, you're seeing, you know, Hispanics from all across the board in Latin America, you're seeing, you know, a heavy uh, presence of, you know, an Asian community as well, Vietnamese, et cetera. And so it's very diverse and very cool. But I think LAFC has done a good job of really letting, making it a community brand and club that everyone can feel a part of. You don't have to feel like, you know, you have to be, you know, a certain demographic to fit in. I can't say that for every MLS club, but LAFC and Atlanta United, I think, have done a really good job of organically creating sure. that. And so for RSL, um, you know, I think it goes back to, you know, for them to really understand and get a really good understanding of what the makeup is from, from the Latino community and say, okay, does that mean our messaging is going to be more aimed towards Spanish? Um, you know, they're doing great stuff right now with, with the school visits. It's going to help with, with Rubio. Um, so it doesn't necessarily always have to be signing the big, you know, getting right. like an Alan Pulido or something yeah. like that. I, don't, I, I think we're past that. I think the, the, the market has emerged, just MLS in general. And uh, it's now, okay, how do we start to really resonate with um, Hispanics now that are in high school, that are in college, that are ones that are graduating from college that are going to have the true economic purchasing power that higher than their parents did, mm -hmm. who, who are immigrants. So in the case of me, um, I'm kind of a hybrid of a first and second generation immigrant. My, uh, my mom, uh, I was born in San Diego, but actually grew up in Tijuana and then grew up again in California and Utah. And so um, I, I'm technically I'm a first generation immigrant, right? But I've I've had the fortune now of being able to get my you know undergrad and master's degree, and so my purchasing power is obviously higher than my mom's. And so uh, for us, for my peers, 
you know, we're really the market that RSL needs to uh, go after sure. because we're the ones that are going to buy season tickets. We're the ones that are going to buy premium seating. Uh, you know, if, if we end up, you know, being C-level executives for companies, we're the ones that are going to be signing off on those sponsorship deals, right? right. And so, um, again, it, it's a very tailored approach that has to happen at every MLS mm-hmm. club because every market's different, sure. right? And then obviously, like in New York, for example, you're not going to really be targeting Mexican-Americans. You have to going to be more of a melting pot yep. of Latinos, right? And so um, that's a challenge, but it's, I think it's a challenge that every MLS club should embrace. And if they do it correctly, it can be really something that that really makes it a, a, a unique uh, experience for all, all fans of that club. How critical do you think it is now that the RSL Academy system is basically 10 years old, the first, I want to say, eight years in uh, maybe seven years in Arizona, the last three mm-hmm. here, as we start to see local kids come up, you know, we've got this goalkeeper for the Monarchs, 16-year-old Jeff Dusnip, yep. who is a is a local kid who grew up dreaming of playing in Rio Tinto Stadium. I think that's going to be a game changer right. over the next decade or so as uh, as RSL truly, you know, it's more just establishing more local roots. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, it, it definitely takes time. It's definitely a process thing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially from the development side. But we're, RSL has already started to see those fruits with Bofo Salcedo yep. uh, doing what he's doing in Pumas. And, and I'm sure he still has a, um, you know, great uh, affinity for, for, for home, right, in Utah. And then uh, then you have uh, Carlos Salcedo who, yep. who went through the program here as well. And so RSL is definitely... Um, seeing the fruits of their labors now and uh i think over the next 10 years you'll see even an explosion of that especially just considering how mls has invested in those youth academies Mm -hmm. not just rsl but just across the board right and so um i think creating more opportunities and again now focusing again on the latino market here in utah if if there could be more of an emphasis on because there's a lot of talent on the Latino side here. If you go to you know the the Mexican leagues here in the community in West Valley and other places on right. Sundays or over the weekends, there's a lot of untapped talent. And sometimes it's you know economic barriers. Sometimes it's it's other situations that prevent them from being seen. And uh, you know sometimes you know RSL or other clubs they don't necessarily have to go out of their market to scout other places. Sometimes the, the those potentials are are here already. Mm-hmm. And if they can you know get that homegrown talent, you know, as they say, uh, that's going to help, you know, the community rally around those players and be like, I know him, he's playing now at the international level for a club or he's doing this for for RSL and that'll ingrain them more and and create that loyalty. And more than anything else, for that younger generation, they're going to feel like RSL is their club as opposed to if their parents liked America, they're so far away now, they don't speak to them in their own language. They're they're probably not going to speak much Spanish so RSL is our club now, and that's what they want to be tied to, and that will create that long-term loyalty. So um, both on the commercial and technical side, you really have to see things on a – and me from a marketing side, you have to see things kind of on a longer scale and just sure. that process of what it takes to start to really see those seeds. It's uh, always hard to have that longer, exactly, longer view. Yeah. Nobody's patient exactly, and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> enough in our world anymore. Um Last kind of question, with your um, expertise and your and your company's expertise in advising on um, facilities, infrastructure, mm-hmm. etc. I, you know, I've been preaching for six months now how I think one of the most critical sales aspects for RSL for whoever the next ownership group is 
is the facility and the infrastructure. I mean, the the facility in Harriman is, um, you know, some of the the Brits that have come through the organization have said only Man City has something like this. Mm, Um, It's probably a top 10, 15 facility in the world, depending who you ask. Um, How, I guess, and, and the second part of the same question is, Okay, so Harriman's only a couple years old, but Rio Tinto Stadium is 12 years old. Right. Um, I guess from your viewpoint, are there things that you think either facility or surrounding areas need to do to stay up to date and and remain kind of the jewel of the – or the cornerstone of the club that those things have been for so long? Yeah, well, I mean – I love the stadium. I think it's very intimate. I think it's perfectly sized for the market. Um, I think how, you know, the number of suites, the club seats for me, I think it's great. In fact, it's one of, it's one of the, um, examples or case studies that we cited. So we did a recent, we did a project for FC Juarez across the border from Texas for a new stadium there. There's the stadium that they play now is 40 years old. It's run down. You have an Olympic track there that Mm. keeps you away from the action. And so, um, we did a study for them and helped them, uh, you know, identify what are, best-in-class examples of MLS stadiums that they could try to replicate to, to make it an intimate experience. And RSL was, uh, or Rio Tinto was one of those stadiums nice. that we profiled. Um, what you're starting to see now, especially with the new new stadiums, is that now they're focusing more, and not just for MLS, but also NFL and MLB, is the the need to be downtown. As you remember, sure. you know, us growing up, it, it was always you know far away. You know, <laughs> thinking about Foxborough and, and yeah. other places where it's far away out in the suburbs or you know really hard to get to. But now it's about getting close to the downtown, the core of the, the city, the market, and uh, so I think you know. Thinking about the ancillary development about Sandy, I know this has been talked about for you know several years yeah. now, is really creating a destination point um, where you have Jordan, you know, you have the Megaplex there and everything, Jordan yeah. Commons, but having additional space there for other activities to really make it a, a you know a destination point for mm-hmm. off soccer activities and on, I think will be key. I think it'll be difficult now because it's in Sandy; it's not part of you know the core of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, but, but the Sandy people always point out that that 90th South intersection is the epicenter right, of yeah, the yeah, yeah. corridor. Right, right. And, um, you know, now that we're kind of out of the pandemic, it seems like some of that development is starting to tick up. Sandy's had a plan for 15 years to, yeah, to yeah. do that in that space. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, I think more than anything, too, is is just having walkable spaces, things right. that people can get to on their bikes or, you know, scooters restaurants, or restaurants. Pre-post like post-game activities. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's probably what's probably lacking in that. Uh, but I think for me personally, I, I think it's a great venue. I think it's great views. I, I love the design. Um, I th- and I think when they created it, they had it with the idea that it could be expandable in the future, right? Yep, so, absolutely. So, I mean, they, yep. they have the infrastructure in place so that in the future they can expand. And so, I, to me, I think it's great, and I think they're they're one of the the better stadiums in MLS. Yeah, the intimacy is definitely there. The sidelines yeah. are are there. Um, it's just one of those things. I remember the Colorado Rockies were on a big push probably ten years ago to m- kind of make Utah part yeah. of their, and so their president used to come in town every year and hold a big luncheon. And I remember him saying that even though Coors Field was built in two, sorry, nineteen ninety. Eight, I want right, to say, yep. they spent more on annual maintenance and upkeep on Coors Field as all the other Major League Baseball teams spent on their stadiums 
combined. I believe it. And and the reasoning was they knew that every day somebody was coming to Coors Field for the first time, and mm. they wanted to preserve that experience that sure. everybody else had had on opening day of the whole stadium. So I just thought that was a very expensive but also a very kind of prescient way of yeah. of looking at that. And um, maybe RSL or other MLS clubs can get to that point. I think that's a luxury that probably many clubs right. haven't had. Right. But um, when you think about it that way, to, to kind of preserve the – the magic of, of a brand new stadium. That's an ambitious goal and probably a, ultimately a, a very rewarding one if you can swing it. Absolutely. I agree. All right, Walter, it was great to have you here. I yeah, want to have you voice. back again Absolutely. later in the year. Maybe we've got some more details to talk about on the ownership front or the yeah. media rights or everything else under the sun. But I'm going to make one request. You got to wear a Broncos hat. I was waiting. I was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> I, I purposely wore this hat, so I'm a uh, Raiders ride and die, ride or die. Have so. you been to the? I guess you haven't been to the new no, stadium no. yet because so they haven't had any I fans actually, there. So I follow the scheduling enough on the NFL side that I I know when to calculate when the Raiders are going to play Monday night. Okay. And so I had I booked my hotel last year because I knew that they would be the, the opening. Oh, uh, right. Monday night game, and they were. But then the pandemic, and yep. so I had to cancel everything, and so I rebooked again. So I have my plans for Ravens at Raiders. Oh uh, wow! So I, everything's booked. So I'm crossing my fingers. I think everything will go well. So I'm excited to to make my. This will be my first Raiders game too. I I, I okay. never went to Oakland, uh, and I grew up in San Diego back when they were the LA Raiders. Yeah. And so um, yeah, so I'm I'm really pumped about this. But I'm not too thrilled about the uh, the lowest ticketed prices right now are a thousand bucks a person. Oh so my gosh. I'm gonna I'm thinking that'll probably drop at some point. So I, I was my budget because my wife is gonna go with me. Okay. And so my budget was a thousand total between the two of us. But uh, I wasn't planning on two thousand, so we'll yeah. uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens. So I, mean, I might have a connection here or there, but we'll see. Either yeah. that, or I'm I'm going to be listening to radio shows to try to call in to there win two free tickets. So, <laughs> so try to call into JT the brick. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. I I was in Vegas a month ago. Um, it looks like a spectacular yeah. venue. I can't wait to I'm to excited. see it full and see people inside. And I've had the same thoughts that maybe I would go down for a Broncos Raiders game. So. Definitely. We'll figure it all out. Great having you here. Thanks, Trey. And uh, we'll talk soon. Hopefully we'll see you at Rio Tinto Stadium this summer. Yeah, we'll do. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That is the latest version, edition of Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, now presented to you by One Wire Fiber. Go to the number one, wirefiber.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with us, and please do, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at Claret Cobalt, C-L-A-R-E-T-C-O-B-A-L-T. We are always up for some banter, for omissions, corrections, guest suggestions, your favorite RSL memories, or whatever. You can also share your RSL memories at anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt press that message button we'd love to hear from you this show independently produced by trey fitzgerald and mountaineer media recorded at mountaineer studios in draper utah the views expressed here on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of real salt lake thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon